Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 198 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Immune Warrior, an interview with Gina Vales. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, Gina is somebody who you wouldn't expect to get sick. She is this genetically gifted athlete who is uber healthy, both with her diet and with her exercise. She's an exercise professional. She's a gym owner, yet she got very, very sick. But what's interesting about her episode in particular is the reason she got sick is because she overtrained. She actually did too much of a good thing. And rather than just having the movement that she needed to be healthy, she got sick because she was stressing her immune system by working too hard and exercising too hard. Rich, Gina was such an inspiration. We hear from people all the time that tell us they're too sick and they can't get better. But Gina was sick with Lyme disease, many co-infections, and then got sick with COVID, had a really bad breakup, Her business had a setback due to the pandemic, and she used everything she learned throughout her health journey to bounce back and is better than ever today. So Matt, we've learned from Dr. Biroscano that without movement, folks cannot heal from Lyme disease, but now we've seen the other extreme. And if you work too hard, you're going to stress your immune system. And what's beautiful about the transformation that Gina has gone through is that there were three times in her life where she overtrained. And as a result, she wasn't able to get the results that she wanted. And in fact, she had gotten sick and then sick again because she overtrained. And what she's now done is she's now learned that there is a balance that's necessary for you to be healthy and for your immune system to be healthy. And she's turned that into her new business, Immune Warrior. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce to our community, Gina Vales and Immune Warrior. Hey, Gina Vales, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We are really excited to have you for a lot of different reasons, but I don't want to reveal too much before we get to your background. So Gina, talk to us first about where you currently live. I am from South Windsor, Connecticut. So I'm in the New England region, Um, small town outside of Hartford, Connecticut. And Gina, talk to us about uh, where you grew up. Yeah, so I actually, I grew up here um, where I currently am in the same town. Um, so I have my family around here. Um, it's a small town, um, but yeah, so family's around here. Everyone's nice and close. So how far are you from Lyme, Connecticut? Um, I'm about from Old Lyme. I was actually there last week. Um, I'm about 40 minutes from there. So you grew up in the Lyme Belt, uh, very close to the birthplace of Lyme disease, although we on Long Island like to take the position that we really are the birthplace <laughs> of Lyme disease. Not that that's a distinction you should try to uh, seek, but um, tell us about what your educational experience was like uh, growing up in Connecticut in the shadows of uh, Lyme, Connecticut, and old Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah, so it's, it's funny that you say that with the whole new new or Long Island and Lyme, um, old Lyme in Connecticut. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't know much about Lyme growing up, obviously. Um, I know a lot more now going through the journey of it. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a small town here. Um, I went to boarding school, um, instead of public school, I was an athlete my whole life. Um, and yeah, and then I went to college, got my degree in exercise science. I went down to Virginia there Um, and I was always in sports. I was always an athlete my whole life. I was always into health, nutrition, wellness, all that since a really young age. Um, my dad has a fitness business as well. So, um, I was kind of born and raised into, you know, the health world. So Jeannie, you said you went to boarding school. So clearly you had, um, some opportunities and, uh, some educational opportunities that were unique. 
Um, did those unique opportunities include health classes and health classes that taught you about how to take care of your body? Yeah. So I actually, so I went to boarding school. Um, I played three sports there. So we always, we had to play, we had to play two or three sports every season. Um, and there was a bunch of health classes. That was obviously my favorite class, <laughs> the sports and the health. Um, so yeah, I was able to, um, take a few classes, uh, you know, from high school all the way into college since I got my degree in exercise science. So um, that was always something I was into at such a young age. Um, I was always into, it, it was like, since I was young, always into eating healthy and moving my body. So um, yeah, like, you know, I, I always kind of knew even in high school, um, graduating, going to college, um, that I wanted to do something with sports, something with health, something with nutrition. So it's always been part of me. Since okay. So let's, let's pause there for a second, right? So you're in, you're in high school and you're a three sport athlete yeah. and you're passionate in part because your dad has a fitness business and in part because this is something that you have an aptitude for and you love your health classes. They're the classes that you're focusing on the most and you're focusing on how to take care of your body and how to protect your body, correct? Correct. So let's focus first on your health classes at boarding school. Did you ever learn anything about how to protect your body from ticks and tick diseases? So I actually never learned about Lyme disease in high school. Uh, I don't know if it just wasn't talked about or it just wasn't, um, you know, around as much then uh, like it is now, but I never learned about it. Um, it was more about, you know, just health in general, um, yes, nutrition, but more about just the body, how to take care of it. But never specifically in high school did we learn about Lyme disease, being in the Lyme state as well. So that's interesting to actually, you know, think about going back. It is. So let's pause there for a second. For a second. So, so literally the disease that this podcast is based on is named after a community where the first, the, the first um, group of people who are suffering from similar symptoms had been uh, first identified and then, uh, and then given a name. And you are now going to school in very close proximity to that area. And not a word is ever said to you about how to protect yourself in your health classes, which of course you would remember because they were your favorite classes. Yes. Yep. All right, so, so now let's talk about your athletic pursuits. What three sports did you play in high school? Okay, so in high school, I played soccer in the fall. I played ice hockey in the winter and I played lacrosse in the spring. So I was going all year long summer. I did camp. So I was constantly moving my body. Like I started playing sports too. when I was, I think I was four years old when I did my first pull up. Um, so I have been an athlete my whole entire life. Like moving my body is what I've done since I was literally probably four. Um, so yeah, those were the three sports I played in high school. So in order to be able to move your body and play certainly your fall and spring sports, which were outdoor sports, you had to make sure that you took care of your body, correct? Correct. So for example, when you were playing any of the sports that you were playing, in most cases, you would make sure that you stretched before you began to participate in any sports because you wanted to make sure that your body was ready to perform, correct? Correct. 
And you'd make sure that you didn't go out too late at night and you'd make sure that you got an adequate sleep and you'd make sure that you got up early and make sure that you ate properly. You did all the things that you'd need to do in order to be able to protect your body. And you could perform at a high level when you were playing soccer, when you were playing ice hockey and when you were playing lacrosse, correct? Correct. Now, as part of that, did you take any precautions in at least your fall and spring sports to make sure that you were protecting your body from suffering from bacteria, viruses, and protozoa that would come from suffering a tick bite? No. <laughs> so now let's move forward to uh, you graduated from high school and moving on to college, right? Again, you still have a passion for health. You have a passion for making sure that you not just move, but you have the capacity to move in a healthy way by taking care of your body, eating correctly, sleeping enough, doing all the things that smart people do to keep themselves healthy, right? And you go off to college, where'd you go to college and what'd you major in? So I went to college, I graduated high school, let's see, so it was 2000, 2006, I graduated high school, went to Roanoke College in Virginia. Um, I was a two-sport athlete in college, it was a division three, so I played soccer and lacrosse there, and I got my degree in exercise science. So. Okay, so... Now you're, you're pursuing your passion. You're still playing sports. You're now going to a really good school in Virginia. By the way, there's certainly a lot of alpha gal in Virginia and a lot of Lyme disease in Virginia, and you're a young woman. So it's not like this is a new discovery. Tell us what you learned about either as part of preparing yourself to uh, play soccer and lacrosse as a, as a two-sport college athlete and through the coursework that you took uh, about ticks and Lyme disease. So going back, I never, ever, ever learned anything about Lyme disease. There wasn't a class. There wasn't anything like I don't I feel like I would remember that, even though it was a long time ago. But I don't remember learning about that at all. It was just more so, you know, the exercise part, what you put in your body nutrition wise. And I, I never learned about really disease at all. So talk to us about what you did learn about as it relates to movement in the immune system. Now, I'm just talking about your education. Now, we're gonna to get to your experience after this uh, part of our conversation, but as part of your education, both either in high school or in college, what'd you learn about movement and its relationship with immune health? Um, well, it's funny because I feel like, compared to what I know now in my experience, but um, going back to then, it's more, it was more just textbooky. I feel like. Um, not as much so through experiences of people now. So it was more about, you know, your VO2 max and your number reps of push-ups, or, you know, getting protein in and stuff. So um, with your nutrition in my nutrition class. So I would say it was just more textbook education rather than having actual experiences from people and their stories, which I think is actually more important. And, um, because you can kind of connect with people in a different level. So I feel like growing up with when I was in college and high school, you know, it was just, it was the education just a little more textbook and not so much experience. So the technical education that you received did not put you in a position where you truly had a, an understanding of the importance of exercise and what role it would play in immune health. Um, yeah. I mean, I would definitely say, obviously it gave me like not like a foundation, but a step, maybe a step to learn foundation. I'd probably say everything I do now, I have a hundred percent, 99% have learned on my own. 
through experience and my lifestyle and learning and educating myself, um, which is, you know, which is not, is not learned. I always say, I'm like, I feel like colleges need to have, you know, entrepreneur school. I feel like colleges need to have, like, there needs to be more life experiences with people rather than so much that textbook. But do I think it helped like with, with just, you know, knowing more about, you know, other things? Yes, of course, education is education. So I don't think it was a complete negative thing. Um, obviously, you know, it helped me somewhat um, get to where I am. So I think it's just like a stepping stone rather than like a full foundation that I feel like I have now um, after educating myself. So talk to us about what you did after you graduated from college. How did your career begin? Yeah, so um, I was actually, I did, I, one year I stayed down in Roanoke. I was assistant lacrosse coach. Um, and I was a three-time All-American lacrosse player. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And then I went to Team USA. Um, I was the only D3 player to make it to the final round. And then I had a big injury. So I actually had to give up my spot, Was a which was a really huge bummer in my life at the time. But um, now I look back and I understand why that happened and it happened for a reason and it's led me to where I am now. So, um, but yeah, so I, uh, well, sorry, what was the question again? I got, how did you, tell us about how your career developed from oh, yeah, when yeah, yeah. you graduated yeah. from college? So yeah, so I just um, graduated from college. I did that year. So I coached lacrosse for a year and then I moved back home to my hometown in South Windsor, Connecticut. And I was going back and forth between wanting to open up my gym, open up a gym, be a personal trainer, start my own business and moving to California to be a lacrosse coach for this club team out there that was growing, um, that my other friend was going for. So I was going back and forth. I took like a month to think about it. And then, so I was 23 years old, 20, 24, 23. Um, and I just decided to open up my business. And that's where I started. And I started with one client and just kind of grew one client, two, three, four, you know, it, you start from nothing and you just kind of take the risk and go all in with it. So, all right. So now you're learning in the field and you're learning not only um, based on your own experience, but you're learning from other people who you're coaching. Yes. Yep. So now tell us how that experience has now taught you about the importance of movement and its role in immune health. Yeah. So I think to like looking back, so I'm 33 now, I was 23, 24. Then um, I've just grown completely looking at the immune system now a little differently um, back then, because, you know, you, you learn what you learn through college, but it wasn't until my own life experience that I learned more about it. But like when I first started, you know, I wanted to help people feel better. So it was about movement, getting them in the gym, doing squats, um, you know, choosing vegetables and protein and, you know, good fats and stuff. So helping people has always made me feel rewarded. Like there's nothing better than seeing someone, you know, with a smile or feel better or be 1% better. Um, but I didn't really, um, you know, really, I mean, I understood what I was doing back then, even though I was younger, you know, you learn more as you go on. But if you took 23, 24-year-old Gina and 33-year-old Gina now, um, it's a completely, it's it's a different mindset, I would say, um, how I look at health and the immune system as all as a whole. So back then it's like, okay, everyone knows, work out, move, eat healthy. Now it's like, 
okay, this is why you like movement. This is what this does with blood flow. This is what this does for disease. This is what it does. So just a little more in depth as you learn and educate yourself. So talk to us about when you first started to now see the symptoms of what you later discovered was Lyme disease. Yeah. So that would be pushing back till, so it's 2017. Um, I woke up one day in the summer. Um, actually, sorry, rewind. I walked my dog in the summer, um, through the, this park in my hometown and I got into the car and I found two ticks on my neck. So pulled them right off, you know, just didn't really, I didn't know anything still about Lyme disease, um, which is crazy. Um, so I was 27, I believe when this happened. So it was about seven days later and I like was brushing my hair or whatever. And I'm like, that's weird. Why do I have a scab on my neck? And I'm like trying to take it off and it wouldn't come off. And then I finally got it off and it was a tick. And I was like, that's weird. I'm like, the only way that could have gotten me is seven days ago when I walked my dog Winston, because I had two of them right here on my neck. So I knew nothing about nothing about Lyme disease. So I went to go teach a class and I told a couple of my clients, I'm like, Hey, is there like a bite on my neck? They're like, yeah, there's definitely a bite. Like, I'm like, well, what do I, I ask people, I'm like, what do I do? What is this? Like, what's, what's Lyme disease, you know? So they're like, yeah, just go to the walk-in. And I was like, okay. So I went to the walk-in, they gave me one pill of doxycycline because that's protocol, I guess. One pill. She's like, if you feel sick in 30 days, yeah, you probably have Lyme, Lyme disease. I was just like, all right. Like I was just like, I'll be fine. Like didn't really know anything about it. So it was a month later, I woke up and I had like a flu, like symptoms. So, um, you know, night sweats, like night sweats, fever, heart palpitations. I was getting bloody noses. Um, I just weird, weird things. And it was in the summer and I was just like, all right, this is weird. So a week went by, still was sick. I was starting to have joint pain, neurological stuff. Like I couldn't talk. I couldn't speak my neck. I couldn't turn my neck. I was finding my keys in the refrigerator. Um, I was driving, didn't know I was driving. I couldn't talk. My speech was all messed up. So I was like, all right, something's not right. So, so let me ask you to pause there for a second, Gina, what was your fitness can, or what was your conditioning like at the time that you had gotten bitten by the tick? Meaning yeah. were you, were you as fit as you appear now? Were you eating well, were you well rested or were you in a place where you were not as healthy as you are now? It's funny because I was like a maniac back then. <laughs> I was like, I was so fit. I could go for like 10 mile run, then go do like a, a lift. And then I felt amazing before I got Lyme. Like I was like, I was in such good shape endurance wise, cardio wise. Um, I still did a lot of strength, um, but not as much strength as I've done in the past couple of years. So I was a very good endurance athlete. Um, that's what I would say back then. And then as soon as I got Lyme, it just completely downfall. So I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, the environment that Lyme discovered in Gina at the time that you were bitten. Now, of course, you had this tick attached for many, many days. Uh, so obviously, and you had multiple ticks. So there were a lot of pathogens being spit into you. And what we find is that it's certainly much more likely that someone will suffer chronic Lyme disease if they suffer multiple bites rather than one bite, which you did. And of yep. course you had at least one tick attack for many, many days. Yep. But I want to sort of focus on, you know, what it is that you were physically doing, because in most cases, 
uh, when people suffer, you know, the chronic symptoms the way you did, there's some immune disrupting event. And what I want to focus on with you specifically is, do you think maybe you were training too hard and that because you were training so hard, perhaps your immune system wasn't as healthy as it could have been. And that's why you became as sick as you did. So oh, I talk about overtraining and I, I have overtrained before. And I always think about that. Um, if I, was I overtrained back then? And if I didn't overtrain, would my immune system be able to, you know, kind of fight that off? I don't know the answer to that, but now I, after the team USA thing, I overtrained then. Um, so it was a couple years later, but, um, you know, overtraining, I talk about that with a lot of Lyme people who are working out like crazy, like it's, it can do more damage than good, um, working out too much. So yeah, what I say, I don't know. I don't know the answer if, you know, would that have helped me? But I know if you do overtraining, it's, it's putting a stress on your central nervous system, which is not a good thing, especially if you're, you know, you have something with Lyme or you're immune compromised. So, so let's talk about balance with exercise. When we interviewed Dr. Joseph Uroscano, who we have named the first Lyme literate doctor, he was here from Long Island. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that he had pointed out to us was that of all the people that he, that he treated, and there were thousands of people, if, if his patients did not move, meaning they did not engage in exercise, they would not get better. Yep. So we have on the one side of the coin, people needing to exercise and engage in movement if they're going to heal. And we'll talk more about that later. But then we have the other extreme where we have people who are doing too much and you're overtraining and that has an impact. So talk to us about perhaps how you were not in balance. You were moving. So that was good, but maybe you were, you were out yeah. of balance and that resulted in, in immune disruption and causing you to suffer your chronic illness. And I think this is, this is what kills a ton of athletes who deal with Lyme disease or autoimmune disease, because as an athlete, you're go, 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 go all in all the time, hundred percent. Once you get sick where I had to really, it took me about a year, two years to figure out, okay, what, what type of training is right for me now? I had to change my entire lifestyle, to be honest, from going from a top, you know, USA all-time American athlete to being like, okay, this is my movement for the day. Um, so I do believe and I can say this, so this is what, why I believe movement is so important and that I agree with um, that doctor saying you have to move because when I was sick, sick and bedridden, I made myself get up every day and do walk around my parents' house. I had to move home. I was so sick. I, I did one lap around their house. It took me about probably three, four minutes to walk that loop. And I say, if I didn't do that every day, I would probably still be in that bed. So just getting up and getting like that, that vitamin D from the sun and getting blood flow, whether it was a four minute walk or, you know, a 20 minute walk, but what that does for your, you know, your cells on a, um, you know, energy level, um, is huge. So I think every person with Lyme disease has a different, there's not, it's not a one size fits all. I really don't believe it's a one size fits all fits all, but I do believe, you know, someone might have to just walk for five minutes and, you know, someone else might be able to go for a run for 20 minutes. So, um, I do believe movement is very powerful. You just have to figure out 
what's scalable to you. So I say, I tell everyone like, you have to scale it to you. You can't, what I, what I do might not work for you, but I can give you the tools to figure out, you know, what might work for you. So although it may be specific and different for each person, because we're all different physiologically. And of course, Lyme presents differently, but as a foundational element, your argument is like Dr. Burascano, everyone must move if they're going to heal. Yes, I truly, truly believe in that. Um, 100, I, I 100% because I, I did it. Like I went through that. I truly believe that because I truly believe if you can tell yourself, like I would, if I didn't tell myself to get up, I, I have this in my head all the time. Like I remember talking to myself, just get up and walk, just get up and walk. It's going to help. It's going to help. And then you can go right back in bed. You know, um, I would still be in that bed. I really think you can tell yourself such negative things and the mindset of it. Um, that I, if I told myself, nope, just stay in this bed and tell myself I'm sick, I'm sick. I'm never going to get better. I, I might still be there. So, so Jim, let's, let's, let's pause there for a second and, and talk to us about how your symptoms developed and what impact it was having on you first professionally, because you started to share with us what your symptoms were. And it sounds to me that, that they progressed pretty rapidly and ultimately you became bed bound. Yeah. So, um, it was, I mean, it, it felt like I was literally dying. Like I thought I was dying. I thought I had cancer. I thought, um, because I'm such a type A person, I was always, you know, an athlete and I was go, go, go. And then all of a sudden your whole life flips over and I was running a gym. I was teaching all the classes. I was doing all my sessions. You know, I, I was just, I just began to build my business up because I was 27, I think. And I was at like, I was like, I was doing really well for myself and I had other trainers and stuff. And I remember when it first happened, I had to close my gym for, um, about two weeks when I was bedridden. Cause I just, I couldn't do it. And my, thank God, my clientele is amazing. Like not one person left. They just totally like understood, like there was something wrong and I couldn't figure it out. Cause I went undiagnosed for one year. So let's talk about that. How many different doctors did you see from the time that you began to show the symptoms of Lyme disease and, uh, and then finally receiving a diagnosis? Yeah. So I think I saw six specialists and I got every CAT scan, MRI, x-ray, colonoscopy possible. And no one could figure it out. Like my liver enzymes were high, like my blood work, some blood work was off, but no one could figure it out because my tests kept coming out negative, 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 negative. So I actually was the one I go one day. I just, it just clicked. I'm like, all that makes sense is that I have Lyme disease. That's the only thing that makes sense. So okay, pause that for a second. Pause yeah. that for a second. So you're, you suffer three tick bites at one time, right? One is attached for seven days. You go to, you go to a doctor in Connecticut yep. and you get one dose of doxycycline. Yep. You're, you now, you now exhibit very classic Lyme disease symptoms, including a summer flu. Mm -hmm. Your, your symptoms continue to progress. You continue to get sicker. You finally get so chronically ill that you're stuck in bed for two weeks. This uber fit, gifted athlete, a trainer is so sick, she's in bed. And you now see a whole score of doctors in Connecticut, the birthplace of Lyme disease, and no one can figure out that you have Lyme disease except you. Correct. Okay. Now, when you were seeing these doctors, did you point out to any of them that you had just suffered a tick bite or a series of tick bites earlier 
and and in advance of you developing these symptoms. Yep, I told every single one that it makes sense. I have Lyme disease, and they all said I didn't because my test came out negative. Okay, so let's talk about uh, before I hand you over to Matt. Let's talk about what tests you took with the doctors. And you said they tested every part of your body, meaning it sounds like from head to toe they 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 tested every part of your your body. But let's talk specifically about what Lyme disease tests you were given. Yeah, so I mean, I was just given the what's it called the the regular one. Um, the one that's literally 90 horrible, <laughs> those ones until I saw my Lyme specialist. So that was until, so it was just like the regular Lyme disease tests, whatever blot or tests. And then that's Western from, blot. Yeah. The Western blot. That's what I got from those doctors. Not until I saw my Lyme specialist is when I got the band testing, the galaxy, the Stony Brook and all that. Did these doctors ever tell you that the Western blot is not an accurate test and many people end up with false negatives? Nope. Not one person told me. So it was about a one-year journey you would describe that it took you to get diagnosed from the time you got sick. Talk to us a little bit more about your symptomology and how your symptoms developed over that one-year window. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had that flu-like, the neurological stuff really started. And then the gut, I started having a lot of gut issues and just fatigue and, um, breathing issues. It just like, it was just moving around my body. So from neurological to respiratory, to, um, joint stuff, to gut issues, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it was just like, my body was literally shutting down. That's what it was like. And the fact that you had night sweats, which is a classic sign of Babesia, did any doctor ever make a connection that you had several tick bites and now you developed unexpected and never before, you know, experienced night sweats with potentially Babesia from a tick bite? No. And it's actually funny you say this. So the doctor I went to at first, I told them all those symptoms. They said, that's not Lyme disease. It's crazy. <laughs> and they never said anything about co-infections or other tick-borne illnesses, obviously. Nope. I knew nothing about this. I had to do, I researched everything. And that's when I, I go, I'm calling a Lyme specialist and I paid $2,000 to see this doctor for two hours. So before we get there, talk to us in a little more detail about what were your gut issues specifically? Was it just stomach pain? Was it diarrhea? What were the symptoms that you correlated with your GI symptoms? Yeah, it was just like every time I ate something, just bloating, um, diarrhea, um, just, you know, gas issues, just pain. I had a lot of stomach pain, actually. Um, it was just literally everything you can think of. And you talked about neurological symptoms as well. So talk to us a little bit more about in, in detail what those symptoms were for you. Yeah, that was a scary part, actually. The neurological, that's when I was like, okay, this is something is very wrong. It's in like something's like in my brain. Um, but yeah, I just remember, you know, I would be looking for my keys. Like I found my keys in the refrigerator, in the freezer one time, couldn't find them anywhere. Um, I would get in my car, I'd be like, where am I driving to? Where am I? Um, I'd be talking to people and like my words wouldn't make sense. And I mix them up. Um, didn't know, like, it'd just be really scary stuff. I'd have to pull over a lot driving and be like, all right, where am I going? Where am I? What town am I in? What street am I on? Um, and just very like brain fog, like crazy. And, um, yeah, it was, just, it was scary. Gina, these are obviously very disturbing symptoms. What were your doctors saying about these severe neurological symptoms? They, I would go to, you know, rheumatologist, primary, this doctor, endocrinologist, um, and 
they were like, nothing showing up in the blood work, nothing on all these tests. You know, your liver enzymes are really high, your white blood cell counts really low, but there's nothing really that shows anything. So you're, there's, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but did they recognize that you were physically sick, but they just couldn't find out why? Or were they referring you to a mental health specialist suggesting possibly it was psychological? No, they didn't even do that. They so they essentially just threw you out the door and said, we don't know, go to yeah. another specialist. Yeah. And I remember my dad coming with me like a couple of times because he's like, this is ridiculous. Like, and I just remember him being like, what is wrong with her? Like, she's obviously really sick. Like, and they were just like, we don't know. Like, it was crazy. So talk to us more about your breathing issues, because you mentioned the night sweats, which is a classic sign of obesia. But we also know that air hunger can be another classic sign of obesia as well. So what specifically were you experiencing with your breathing issues? Um, I couldn't, like, I just walk and I'd be out of breath. I couldn't walk upstairs. Um, I, I had heart palpitations too. So like, it was just really scary. Like I couldn't, you know, you take, I'm like the top athlete, like, and I couldn't even take a step without breathing. Um, but the heart palpitations was kind of scary. Um, and you know, time to time, like if my Lyme flares up and stuff, I will get that like a little bit, but there was nothing like it was in the beginning for sure. Juni, you mentioned that your dad would come to the doctor with you because they weren't helping you and he wanted to really push them to, to get your proper diagnosis. What was your family thinking and saying throughout this one year window where you were undiagnosed? So my family, I mean, it's a very frustrating process. Um, you know, like some people, I always think like, I'm like, do some people even believe me? Like, and my parents were just, they just wanted an answer. Um, I, they, I had to move home. They had to move me home and I was like bedridden I couldn't even move myself in and they were just like all right just you know we'll go to this doctor and this doctor but I think it was really frustrating because they they were seeing me you know go from this you know successful on-the-go athlete business owner to literally someone who can't move and who's very sick and it was frustrating for them you know it's frustrating and sad to see anyone near you know family related to um like that so so they, they believed that you were really sick because they saw the severe physical transformation that occurred before their eyes. Uh, yeah. I mean, they believed me. I think they were just like, at that point, it took so long, like a year. It was just like, I don't know. Like they're, they were just like, I don't know. Like it's very, um, they were like, just keep going to the doctor, keep going to that doctor. I didn't, I think they didn't even know what to do after a year. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And throughout all this, did you ever seek psychiatric help? Because putting aside that it was a real physical problem, obviously a lot of psychological distress can come out of not knowing what's wrong with you for so long. Yeah. And I, I actually didn't because like deep down, I just like always said, I'm like, it's, it has to be Lyme disease. Like it just made sense to me. And so, cause I'm like, I know I'm not crazy. Like there's something really wrong. Um, but no, I, I mean, I've had concussions in the past and like I told my doctors that, but they said, you know, no, that wouldn't be these symptoms or whatnot. So I didn't end up seeing anyone for that. I just, you know, just kind of went for through a whole year of being sick until I called the specialist. It's interesting that you know that you've had concussions in the past because we've noticed that of now almost, I think you are uh, close to our 200th podcast guest, that many of them have noted they've had concussions or several concussions or brain injuries throughout their their life. Do you think that there's a connection between concussions and Lyme, possibly that it could be a balance issue or some sort of problem resulting from Lyme disease that could 
result in a higher percentage of people in the Lyme community having concussions? Um, so it's, it's interesting you say that. So I, cause I, I know a lot of athletes, like my friends who have concuss concussions, cause I got them from sports as well. Um, and I could see why there could be, you know, definitely, um, a hand in hand, you know, issue there just due to neurological, um, issues. You know, I don't know the science behind all that. I know like what concussions can do to you, but I do, I actually started studying that a little bit. Um, while back ago about concussions and Lyme disease, that there is any correlation. Um, but you know, I would, I mean, it's in the brain. So I, you know, Lyme loves the brain. So I'm sure there's definitely correlation there. If, you know, there's information out there from scientists or, you know, people studying that. So why did it take, and I, I think maybe because as we know, Lyme doctors don't take insurance and it's out of pocket and very expensive, but I'm curious why it took a year for you to finally go to a Lyme doctor when you knew yeah. from the beginning you had Lyme disease. I think just because I didn't, well, I didn't know about it like at all in the beginning. So I just like, what do you do? Like when you go to, you don't know about something. So you try to trust the experts, right? You trust these doctors. Like they're saying, I don't have Lyme disease. And I was like, okay, like I don't, even though it's the only thing that made sense because of that tick on me. That's what I'm saying. Um, but the more and more I got sick, I'm like, okay, just, and then I just was like, you know what? Like, I don't think these doctors have any idea what they're talking about. Like I, I, it's the only thing that makes sense. I found that sick on me. I got sick after 30 days, you know, but that's after a year of researching Lyme and doing stuff because I knew nothing about it. So I pretty much put the hand, you know, the, the information in these doctors' hands to give me the right, um, you know, diagnosis and the right information and stuff. And then I realized, wow, it's a lot of doctors don't know anything about this. So it wasn't still, I started educating myself is when I called the Lyme specialist. Do you think that this could be a, a shortcut or a tip for those listening? Because we have people reach out to us all the time. So for example, this morning, somebody reached out and said that they had a Lyme test. It was indeterminate and they're they've been sick for several years, but they don't know what to do because their doctors are saying they don't have Lyme disease. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, it sounds like you put your faith completely in your doctor's hands. And yeah. looking back, if you would have then decided to make a change earlier, you could have gotten treatment earlier on. So do you think that's something that you'd want to pass along to our listeners that if they suspect Lyme, they have tests, they're indeterminate or, or even negative, potentially, they should follow up with a Lyme specialist to see if their suspicions pan out to be true or not? Absolutely. Like, that's one thing I tell everyone, like, someone found a tick on them. Like I, cause people reach out to me all the time. Like my friends of friends. Um, and I say they don't take insurance, but it's the best thing I did because I got an answer right away. Like it took a year, it took two minutes for them to give me an answer and it took, and it was the right answer. So I say always Lyme specialist, functional medicine doctor, um, right away, keep the tick. I threw my tick away cause I didn't know anything. I wish I kept it just to, so it could get tested. So I would say the two things would be put the, get the tick into, um, a bag and then to get it tested. And then also call a Lyme specialist, um, do some research. If you can't get into a Lyme specialist because they're so slammed, at least a functional medicine doctor who would have some sort of, um, maybe connection with another Lyme specialist. But I would absolutely say those two things are very, very important. The regular test, if you're just going to go to a primary, is going to give you either a false negative, false positive. So I wouldn't even go that route. Um, don't go to the walk-in. So right away, I would absolutely, you know, 
do your research about Lyme first and Lyme specialists around the area you live in. Um, and anyone can get in contact with me as well if they need a Lyme specialist. So Gina, it's pretty clear that you're very smart and you did your research and you made a decision on which Lyme doctor to see after this one year window. So talk to us about your research experience and how you landed on the Lyme doctor that you ultimately went to. Yeah, so I was doing, I found like a couple of them in Connecticut, um, but there it was one of them. So Dr. Philip Stevens, he was actually, he, I like that he had Lyme disease. He had Lyme disease Bartonella, which I actually have. So he, um, he actually went through the whole experience. He had it. He was, is a medical doctor and he went from medical doctor to be a Lyme specialist. So I really like that he actually went through it. So he knows exactly what it really is. So I did my research um, on him. And at the time he was coming up with, um, obviously everyone's trying to come up with a cure, obviously, but um, he does a lot of, uh, he's trying to do that. He has been for the last couple of years. I know that, but I just liked how he had a real story who went, how he went through it. So um, that's kind of how I went there. And it's actually, when I called, there was like a two month wait and I was like, oh no. And she called me back two seconds later after we hung up. She goes, I just had a cancellation next week. I'm like, I'll take it. I'm like, I don't care how much it is. I'll take it. So um, I went down there and I saw him and then I saw um, the assistant as well. So, and then that's when it started. So what was that experience like compared to your other doctors, the many, many doctors you saw over that one year window? And you know, talk to us about how, how the experience was so unique and different compared to everybody else. Yeah. I just like, I walked in, like, I just, when I, even when I walked in there, like, I just felt like, like comfortable. And I started just, she was like, tell me your story. Like first, that was her first thing. Tell me your story. It wasn't anything about, you know, give me your arm. Let me take blood work or whatever. It was just tell me your story. And I just started, my dad came with me actually. And I started telling my story and like, Literally, it was like two minutes in. She's like, you are classic Lyme disease. Classic. Like, I was like, I looked at my dad and I'm like, are you serious right now? She's like, we're going to do the band testing on you, like all this stuff. But I was there for a good two, like an hour and a half, two hours, you know? So, and I just learned so much. And she was just like, so enthusiastic and like cared. I felt like she cared and he cared. And it just wasn't like, you know, you come in, oh, oh you don't have Lyme or you do have Lyme. So I felt like really comfortable and felt like someone wanted to like help me. Um, so. So what were the next steps after that? Did they run a blood test and then decide on a treatment protocol or was, yeah. did they decide to treat you right away? So she, oh my God, I'm going to say just because I think she treated me right away just because of how sick I was. She wanted to start something, but she goes, but she goes, you need to go tomorrow and you're going to get, cause I had to go to a specific hospital for these band testing. Um, so they did, I went to galaxy in North Carolina and then I went to Stony Brook in um, Long Island. So I did those two band tests. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, she was like, we're going to get on this right now. And at the time they didn't do IVs. They just did antibiotics, which is, you know, Right now, I'm not a fan. I'm now that I'm into so much functional medicine, like going back, like I don't know if I would have done antibiotics or not, but unfortunately I did because at that point, you know, I didn't know any better. I didn't know. So um I just was like, okay, this is what he did. He had Lyme disease. He's healed now. So I'm just gonna do this. So 
Um, I actually went the antibiotic route, which I don't know if I would say that's for everyone. So, um, cause I don't know, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't say, I don't know if the antibiotics did help me or if they helped me a little, but they hurt something else because there's, you know, drawbacks of both. Cause now where I am at, like, I'm just not for antibiotics, but something like that, I don't know because I am where I am today. So, you know, so I'm going to come back to that in a second and ask you some follow-ups on that specifically with your thoughts on antibiotics, but let's go back to the testing. So you mentioned that you had to go to a special hospital to get blood work drawn to be sent to Galaxy Labs in Stony Brook. And when the testing came back, were both labs positive? So my Bartonella was positive. Um, and then it wasn't until later on that I found out that I had, um, what's it called? My, the... Brucella and then the other one might, or I forgot what it's called, myoplasma, I think. Oh, the mycoplasma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those two, but my Bartonella was, yeah, positive. Did, did Lyme come back po- positive as well? Nope. So Lyme never came back. And it's interesting because Stony Brook is, I mean, right down the block from where Rich and I are. Yeah. And they, they, it is still a Western blot test, yeah. but it's a much more sensitive Western blot yeah. test that looks at a lot of bands. So it's important to note, I think for our listeners that even though it's a very reputable lab, it still doesn't mean it's perfect and hundred percent accurate. So it doesn't mean you didn't have Lyme disease because you didn't test positive through Stony Brook or galaxy labs. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever do any follow-up testing for Lyme that came back positive or at that point did you realize, well, this is what popped. Clearly I'm sick with various tick-borne illnesses and I'm just going to treat them collectively. So I, um, I did, I just did, I kept, I did another one of the like after my, my treatment a couple months, like I would always get tested and stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, it was just the Bartonella was still coming out. And then after, you know, with my Lyme specialist, after going through a year of that with my functional medicine doctor, I would still get tested. But till this day, my Lyme has never actually come out positive, but all the co-infections have. So it's very, that's like, it's kind of like, people are like, what? Like, that's crazy. I'm like, that's how, you know, kind of inaccurate they are. So Sure. Now talk to us more about Bartonella because a classic symptom or sign of Bartonella are those, the, the scratches, the, you know, oh, they yeah. refer to as cat scratch fever. Did you ever have any scratches on your body before you yeah. got diagnosed that people just overlook? I forgot to tell you one of those. Yeah. So I, I would get scratches right on the top of like where my um, shoulder blade is. Um, so I had a couple scratches on each side um, that would show up. And then, you know, I'd have some like, like crazy, not histamine, but like, it was like a histamine crazy. Um, like when my face would just blow up red, um, kind of, kind of like a histamine like reaction. But um, yeah, I did get some scratches on me um, as well. And your doctors before your Lyme specialist saw that and never put a connection together between Bartonella and your, your rashes. Nope. So again, I just feel like you had a tick bite. You got sick after your tick bite. You had all the symptoms of Lyme disease. You had scratches on your body from Bartonella and they still never addressed your Lyme disease. And you live in Connecticut. Yeah. They said that, that all my symptoms were not Lyme disease related. You clearly have a long way to go in regard to awareness and proper education on Lyme and tick-borne illnesses, but thankfully you were smart enough to research and find a specialist on your own. So I now want to come back to the antibiotic topic because 
you mentioned that at the time you did the antibiotics, but now today you're not so much in support of them. So let's, I guess, first go back to back when you first got treated. Why were you sort of anxious about antibiotics at that time? What were your thoughts about them? I've never been, I guess it's just like what my, um, just how, what I believe in. Like, I've never been a huge antibiotic person. Um, even to this day, even like with vaccines and stuff, I just believe like the immune system should be able to fight something off, um, viral and stuff. But I, you know, with being bacteria and stuff, um, but I was willing to do anything I, I needed to do at the time because I knew, I know what antibiotics can do to someone's gut, you know, and gut health is so important to me. Um, and just important in general for your overall health. So it's kind of like a catch 22. And I remember telling my doctor that I'm like, I really don't want to take antibiotics. Cause I thought I asked him like, can I do IV instead? But they didn't do IVs. I could have went to another Lyme specialist, but I liked them and I just put my trust in them. So I did the antibiotics and I knew, you know, my gut would be kind of destroyed and I was willing to take that risk because the gut can heal. I know that. Um, it, even if it takes a long time. So it's really just kind of like what I believe in with my, um, with my own like spiritual beliefs, I think. Um, but you know, it did, I can't say like, I mean, after a year I felt a lot better. <laughs> so, um, after a year of treatment, like, you know, they had to do something to make me feel better, but also my gut kind of suffered, um, as well. So. Was it just one oral antibiotic you were on or was it a variety of different types of antibiotics? I did. So I did one month of doxy and then I did, so it was called pulsing. So I did two weeks on two weeks off for a year and I did tetracycline. And then I did, I also had like functional, like more herbs and stuff. So I had like an oil of oregano um, and other stuff too. So it wasn't just antibiotics. It was the combo, um, which I really liked as well. And I take herbs till this day. Um, so I did, yeah, Tetron two weeks on two weeks off for one whole year. And actually my doctor wanted me to keep going. And I said, I think I'm done just because of my gut and I wanted to heal my gut. So So it was doxycycline. And I think a second, uh, antibiotic you said that you're cycling. Is that, was that correct? Uh, doxy was one week, one month. I think she put me on for one month and then I did Tetra. So then you, then you cycled the Tetra for, for the rest of the year. So oil of oregano and some other herbs too. So before we get to the herbal piece of it, you mentioned that you knew you could repair your gut. Were you doing anything at the time while taking antibiotics to help counter the damage to your gut so you can have less of a repair job when you were done with the antibiotics? Yeah. I mean, I was doing all the herbs. I was doing probiotic because of the antibiotics. I was, you know, my diet was very like, I was very, I had to be very strict with my diet, obviously. Um, and that was huge too. My gut, honestly, like it got a little messed up, but it healed pretty quickly. Um, not going to lie. So that was also a plus as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, there's no one size fits all. So I feel like everyone's going to be a little different. Now, when you started the antibiotics, were you herxing at all? Did you, were you warned about you could feel worse before you feel better? Oh yeah. Like I had major herx. Um, but if you know, you herx, obviously it's, it's doing its job to a certain extent. Um, so I herx like every couple pulses, um, I would say. And yeah, I mean, treatment is, treatment is, it's kind of like cancer in a way. Like it's, it's 
it makes you sick for sure. So it was a really rough year. So, um, I was, it's, I don't even know, was I sicker before? Or was I sicker during it? It's like a, you know, ebb and flow kind of thing. But, um, yeah, so treatment guys is definitely, it's a long road. Um, but you know, I, I am where I am today. So, you know, Gene, I think it's a really important lesson that treatment may have been worse for you than actually how you felt prior to treatment. But if it weren't for treatment, you wouldn't be where you are today, which is basically living a happy, healthy, functioning life. Yeah. And like everyone asked, like, so the antibiotics worked, like that's what worked. And like, I don't, I, I personally, I don't know if I can answer that. Was it, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. It probably was the antibiotics a little bit. It probably was my mindset. It was probably my education. Cause I really think to want to heal, you have to want to heal. Someone can take antibiotics and get sicker and be sick and not, not progress. But I think because of how strong I am mentally, um, in the mindset I had during healing has, is a huge piece of it, like huge. So, so movement, mindset, diet, yes. gut health, probiotics, herbs, all of those things together, I think complemented the antibiotic therapy to get you where you are today. So I think your, your observation is it wasn't just the antibiotics. It was collectively everything I did that got me where I am today. Exactly. Exactly. Because I, I don't think, you know, just taking pills can cure someone. It, 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 there's so many other, there are so many other variables that has to do with healing because healing is a three, six, five. I still, I'm healing still every single day, but my mindset is completely different from where I was like before. So, um, you know, I think that's why having like a coach, whether it's like a lifestyle coach or, um, you know, a life coach in general that can help you with that type of stuff too. So, um, you know, a pill's not going to cure you. Could it give you a step in the right direction? Absolutely. So, um, Gina, Rich is going to talk to you more in a little bit about your mindset today, but you mentioned your mindset before was not great and is, was different than it is today. So talk to us more about where your head was at when you first started treating and how that's drastically different than where you are today. I think being sick for a year, um, it makes you very discouraged. Um, I was in a very confused place in my life um, because it's just like at one point, you know, you're like, all right, am I just, am I making this up? Like, no. And then the next day you'd be like, no, I'm really sick. Like, and just, I'm never going to find an answer. It was very back and forth. Like when you don't have an answer, I think that's the one thing that killed me the most was not having an answer. I'd rather know, Hey, you have cancer than not knowing. So um you know, it was just very discouraging. And, um, that's kind of, you know, there was just one specific day where I remember, and I'm like, no, like, do not let this disease or this sickness define who you are. And that's where I got my tagline for immune, find your inner warrior. Um, because I really had to dig deep and find my, you know, inner warrior to get through this. So I think that, um, you know, any type of illness or, you know, setback makes you discouraged and makes you kind of spiral and makes you depressed and anxious and all these things. So, um, I, I think that's, I, I think that's normal. I, I don't think it's not, not normal, you know, something like that, taking over your, your body, you don't Agreed. realize when you lose your health, like that makes you depressed. Like it makes you have no hope. Um, but I, you know, but there was days where I had no hope. And then the next day I'm like, okay, you reset your mindset. Like, so it was very in and out whether, and then like today I'm just so like, I don't even like, 
I'll have bad days, but I don't let my, my head doesn't go there anymore. You know, I'll have a bad day and I'll be like, all right, so today wasn't a great day, but tomorrow, you know, is another day. So, um, but you just, and you grow from that. It was the journey of going through all that pain, um, to get to where I am today. So I had to go through that to get to where my mindset is today, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And Gene, I think it's beyond the fact that you, of course, you're going to get depressed and have these negative thoughts when you're so sick because you are so sick. We also know now that Lyme and all of the tick-borne illnesses and the co-infections actually cause you to have mental health issues like depression and anxiety. So not only is it, is it a normal consequence of being sick, but it's actually a symptom of the diseases as well. So as you healed, as Gina healed, a lot of those symptoms subsided. And then because you were such a, a, a warrior, as you described, you were able to overcome that by battling your mind and getting to the place you're at today. So I do wanna, I do wanna come back and ask you the question about pulsing because you said that after the one month of doxycycline that you were pulsing the, the um, second antibiotic and did your, did your doctor talk to you at all about why it was important to pulse two weeks on and two weeks off to kill and address these tick-borne illnesses? Yeah, um, because, well, cause if I didn't pulse, it'd be too much. Um, she said, so that little break from the two weeks on two weeks off, um, you know, so if you, if I was just doing antibiotics all year, like I would be destroyed, like everything in my immune system. So pulsing is very important because, um, it gives it a little break. And if you have those herxes, you can kind of recover from it. So, um, I do believe pulsing is important. I like that they did that, um, because, you know, they do care about, you know, your immune system as a whole. So we've also learned that pulsing, in addition to allowing your body to take a break because it can be too aggressive, that pulsing is beneficial because it allows, when you're actually treating the various pathogens that are spit into you from a tick bite, they will actually go into hiding when they're being attacked. And when you stop treating, they'll come back out. So you're sort of tricking them to come back out so you can hit them again. They go into hiding, you let them come back out by stop treating and you hit them again. And it's a more effective way of treating the pathogens than just than treating consistently. Is that something that you would discuss with your doctor as well? Yeah. So, well, and a lot of people think like, that's the thing with Lyme disease. A lot of people think they just, it just goes away and that it's not, it's they hide and they come out and they hide and they come out. So, um, yep, that's what, that's part of the pulsing. So regarding that whole piece of it, do you believe, and this is something we've been discussing with a lot of our guests lately, do you believe that the Lyme bacteria, and in your case, a lot of these various co-infections like Bartonella and, and Mycoplasma, do you think that your body will ever be truly rid of them? Or do you think that your, just, your immune system is so strong now that you're able to manage them and live a healthy life? I think Lyme is a lifetime thing, Lyme or co-infections. Like you said, they hide away. So I think it's all about managing it at that point. It's, it's not, people say like, oh yeah, I'm cured from Lyme disease. It's in your body still. Um, once it's in, it's, you know, it's, it's in your bloodstream. It's in, it's in your body. So it's really about hiding them um, and managing it um, because anything can set that off. Like people don't understand, like you have autoimmunity, you have Lyme disease, like say you're really stressed, something such a small stress can trigger your immune system and those pathogens can come back out and they want to stay alive. So I, I, me personally, this is kind of what I've dealt with. Um, when I'm very, like after a very stressful year with, um, in getting COVID. So now I can say this COVID reactivated my Lyme this year. 
So that's why I had Lyme, mono, and COVID at one time. And that's how I know that it's, it's always going to be in your body, but you can manage it. And I do believe you can be free, free of, you know, feeling good, you're free of chronic illness and feeling good, but it will always be in your body, but something so small can just set it off for it to come out of hiding. So I think it hides and it comes out and it hides and it comes out. And that's why mindset and, you know, you know, spiritually, like having least amount of stress is definitely really, really, really important for people with chronic Lyme. So I want to, I want to get to the COVID and the reactivation of mono and Epstein-Barr in a little bit, but I have a few more follow-up questions about some, your previous experiences before that. So you also just, you mentioned spiritually, spiritually a little bit and your spirituality. Yeah. So talk to us about how that was important to you. Is this religion? Is this faith? Is this prayer? How, how was the spiritual world powerful to you in your healing journey? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel like, so I like live by like, I have my pillars of life, just like my pillars of fitness. And I truly believe, you know, spiritual is one of them. And I found that, and I'll just share them with you if this helps. So emotionally, mentally, um, financially, professionally, spiritually, like those are my five pillars of life. And I have found that without spiritual spirituality, it's hard to have the other ones under control. So I do believe spirituality can be anything anyone wants. So that might be meaning, you know, going to, you know, church for someone that might mean, you know, um, meditating for someone. So, um, for me personally, um, it's where I ground myself and I center myself. There's not one specific thing for me spiritually. I just know the place I need to go. So maybe actually for me, it might be, going for a walk and getting grounded and centered there. Um, and just, you know, calming my central nervous system down. Um, that's really important. Or it may be, you know, I'm gonna say a prayer today. So it's not, it doesn't have to be one thing. Um, I believe everyone's different. So I think everyone just has to find what works for them. I know it works for me. You touched on the central nervous system, and I think there are a wide variety of ways to calm down the nervous system, but I want to explore that a little bit deeper with you. So I think faith and religion can be one way to help calm down your nervous system, but I also think there are a lot of other ways to do that as well. So you mentioned going for a walk, grounding, and other techniques to help sort of calm the nervous system. What have you learned in your researches? What have you learned from researching and studying about the importance of the nervous system and healing from a chronic illness like Lyme disease? Yeah. And I, I think so. It's funny because I think this is where fitness and movement comes into play because as someone who's been in fitness and training and working out the central nervous system is, is what you're, is what you're working. So in a workout, you're ramping up your central nervous system. Like I'm lifting a dumbbell right now. That's my central nervous system, you know, coming up. So, you know, staying in your, um, you know, sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, it's, it's, it's very important to see which nervous system you are um, getting your body into. So I truly believe, you know, you know, some people, so someone who's someone who might go for like with chronic illness, who are trying to go for a run, that might be actually a negative thing because it's freezing their flight or flight. Maybe that's not a good thing for them, but maybe someone like me, I know if I go for a light jog, it's actually calming toward to me and it calms my para um, nervous system down. And it brings me to more of a, 
uh, grounded place. So I think, you know, getting out of that flight or fight is huge for someone battling chronic illness because that can go, that can make your body go haywire. Some would dealing with that. So Gina, talk to us about the two different types, the two different components of our nervous system. We have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Yep. What role does each play in the human body? There's three divisions too. There's autotomic as well, but I think it's flight or flight pretty much the parrot. So you staying in that state is going to make you, you know, the vagus nerve is a huge, I'm sure you've heard about this. The vagus nerve is a huge indicator of chronic illness and what that does. So staying in that parasympathetic state is really going to build that flight or flight. So that's kind of where we want to stay out of. And that's what just goes along with like grounding and centering. And we want to get into more of like a sympathetic nervous system. So that's why as someone who does fitness, you know, maybe a hit class, someone who has chronic illness, someone who say, take someone who has chronic illness, Lyme disease, they're going to go do a hit class, right? They're going to be, that could be a very flight or fight nervous system for somebody. So maybe hit classes aren't the greatest for you. Maybe going for a walk or maybe even lifting weights for you. So like it goes back to everything. There's no one size fits all. I truly believe that because I talk to other Lyme patients and like my friends, like someone says like, oh yeah, I lift and I feel great. When I lift heavy, it kills me. So I know when I do cardio, I feel better. And someone I can talk to says cardio makes them feel worse. So it's very, very, very interesting to you know, look at everyone's story and how different it is. So there really is no wrong or right. But when you take someone who says, okay, lifting's good for me, running's good for me, they're still moving. So whether it's, you know, one or the other movement is helping them in different ways. And I want to explore a little bit deeper through the movement component in a second, but I just want to clarify, I think just the, the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight and the parasympathetic is the rest and digest, correct? Yeah. Sorry. Did I flip them? I, yeah. I, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure I got it right. <laughs> so no, 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 you. no, you're right. Did I say the vice versa? Sorry. I, I think you may have, but either way, I just wanted to, just to ask you to, so we can clarify that. Yeah, um, sorry. But I think, I think an important characteristic of chronic illness in general is that the sympathetic nervous system is overactivated and the parasympathetic nervous system is underactivated, meaning our rest and digest, which is a state of body, which allows us to heal is underactive and the fight or flight is overactive, which means we're in a constant state of overactivity and overdriven, which prevents our body from healing. And the goal is to reverse that. So our body's in a more healthy place to heal. And so Gina, talk to us about movement more and then the lymphatic system, because we know that lymphatic drainage is so important to, to remove yeah. these toxins that are being killed in our body, but many people in the Lyme community are not able to move that much. So what role do you feel lymphatic drainage plays in the healing journey? And what advice would you give our listeners to be able to get their lymphatic system moving, even if they're very limited in regard to physical activity? So I truly believe drainage and the lymphatic system is, it's the number one, you have to start there to heal. And like you said, so this was a huge, this is what was hard for me. So sweating is really important. I, I can't, I wasn't able to sweat because I was so sick. So I was holding all those toxins in my body wasn't allowing my temperature to get up. Um, I couldn't drain like that. So um, you know, I really, 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 um, emphasize how important, you know, infrared sauna is, um, uh, red, red light. So mitochondria, 
Um, so there's different ways, obviously supplements to get drainage from the lymphatic system um, are very important, but yeah, you, I would say to heal, you really have to start with that as number one, um, because the body's not going to be able to do anything without that. So, um, I couldn't sweat from exercise or movement. So, you know, I kind of went through the sauna thing, um, and just other ways to get drainage. Um, and that is like number one to healing. I truly believe so. And if you can't purge the toxins from the die off of the pathogens, then you're going to become more toxic as a whole. And that is very dangerous because if you're that sick, it can put you over that edge and you can get even worse. Correct. Correct. So, so Gina, and Talk to us now. Let's go back to your antibiotics. So you, you were on them, the doxy for a month. You were on, you were cycling them for then the rest of the year. When did you start to feel better from the antibiotic treatment? So I was really sick um, throughout that year because of the herxing. Um, but I, I would probably say actually like towards the end, probably month. So really like month 10 to month 12 after doing it, um, I started to feel actually a little better. A better, to be honest, even though, and that's kind of why I pulled away from antibiotics. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of feeling a little better. Like I, I, my gut needs a break anyway. So it was really not to like month 10, 12. So really that's two years when you think about it, because I went one year undiagnosed and then that whole year there. So, um, it was weird because it, I felt better, but it, I didn't feel what I felt before, like pre pre-Lyme. It was a different type of good, if that makes any sense. It does. So, Gina, tell some of the symptoms that were disappearing at this 10-month window once you started to feel some benefit from the antibiotics. Um, so the neurological stuff started going away. The, the respiratory stuff started going away. Um, let's see what else. I was able to, you know, move a little more. I was still fatigued. Fatigue was still an issue. Um, my pain was still an issue. Um, but I would say the neurological, the respiratory, um, that was definitely, um, getting better, um, which was huge piece. Cause I could actually think like a little normal now. Um, so I would say those went away. I still, like I said, I still had, you know, joint pain. I still had fatigue. Um, bloody noses was actually, I got a lot of bloody noses because my body was so acidic, I think. Um, just from everything. So bloody noses was a huge, like a huge kind of one of the biggest um, uh, symptoms that I actually had. And it's not one that they say it's not because of Lyme disease. It's just because your body's so acidic. Um, so getting my body in, back into like a pH balance was like important and stuff too. So, um, but yeah. I think, but I think, you know, though, the acidic part of, of your journey as you're healing and the bacteria and pathogens get killed, when you, when you get into a herx, your body becomes more acidic because of that herx. Yeah. So I feel like that could be a result of the treatment, not necessarily the disease itself. What do you think about that? So I, when I first got sick, so when I woke up that in the summer um, with the flu-like, I had bloody noses like crazy. So I think it's because my body was so acidic at that point, but it also can be you know, probably from treatment to herxing it out too. So do I think it could be a combo of everything? Yeah, I do. So now I also believe that herbs and, and the other things you did were an integral part of your healing journey that served to help the antibiotics get you better. So talk to us about what herbs you were on and what, why your Lyme doctor prescribed them to help you with what specific symptoms. 
Yeah. So, I mean, they were definitely about, you know, getting that Tetra and the Doxy or whatever, but I took, um, specific, not just like from a tincture, I actually had to get these from a specific place. So it was just a ton of oil of oregano pills, which actually flared me up a lot. Like that was a big part of the Herxing, those herbs, because they're so strong. Um, so it was really, I just, I really did. They wanted to put me on something else, but I stopped right before treatment. Um, I ended my treatment before I forgot what they wanted to put me on, but it was really just pretty much oil of oregano. And then, you know, like all my like smaller supplements, D, C, all that kind of thing. And it wasn't for the herbs until I started doing more research is that I started going on like cat's claw, um, like licorice fruit and that kind of stuff. So really it was very powerful or oil of oregano and it, it, it was like very powerful. It, I had a, I had a lot of, um, perksing with that. So the herbs were, were helping you kill the pathogens, but then some of the herbs you found later on also, I think were helping your immune system as well. Yes, correct. So you finished antibiotics after a year, you made some gains, but you still were having some residual symptoms that just didn't go away. And it sounds like you introduced more herbs after doing your own research to help rebuild your body. And now talk to us about that period of time after the antibiotics, you're introducing new herbs. How did your health change? Did it improve or decline after stopping the antibiotics and introducing the new herbs? So after that antibiotics, I'm trying to remember. So I remember getting better. I still, I couldn't like perform like an athlete really, like, like I was at one point I could work out again. Um, but I had to really adjust my workouts and that's why I've come up with this whole new brand, but, um, in learning my body, um, as someone with chronic illness. So I definitely started to get better. Um, could finally work out again. Um, I still had some symptoms lingering. Um, and you know, there'd be bad days, good days. I, I, I always say this, like with whole chronic illness and Lyme disease, like when my feet hit in the morning, I don't know what type of day it's going to be like, like until it hits, like, I know right away, like when I wake up, is this going to be a good day? Is this going to be okay day? Is this going to be a bad Lyme day? Um, so it's really like a day by day thing. So I, I remember getting better for a couple months. I started working out again, started getting in my groove again. And there was a couple months where, you know, I'd kind of go down and then I come back up and then I go down and then I come back up. I remember though, the best I've ever felt in my journey was actually last summer. That was the best I've ever felt in I think about what did I do differently like last year that summer and I I go back and I really think it's I I wasn't the stress I think stress of I had people working at my gym um you know I wasn't very stressed my diet was on point my supplements I was on my supplement game every single day I did celery juice every single day and it, it was a lot of work I had to do but um but when it comes down to it it was my mindset and the stress to be honest. So I really think those, the nervous system has a huge part in it. You know, were there any other herbs you were on when you did your own research? You mentioned that you did cat's claw in addition to the oil of oregano um, after you stopped the antibiotics. Were there any others that you, you were utilizing to help both address the tick-borne illnesses and strengthen your body and immune system? I did. So I've done like, I've done a couple of things. So what was it? Is it Somato or something? Cemento. Cemento. I did that for a little bit. Um, 
I did um, like lemon balm, licorice root. I did those on and off. I, I, I would kind of pulse those kind of things still. So I wasn't like every day, it was two weeks on, I did two weeks off or whatever. Um, but still to this day, I, I still take cat's cloth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been through a ton of, ton of different um, herbs and supplements. Oil of oregano, I still have time to time. Um, the two that work best for me uh, are cat's claw, oil of oregano, liquor, licorice root, lemon balm. Those have their places. Those were a little powerful for me, um, but those were for the nervous system, especially. Um, but yeah. You think you'd be where you are today, Gina, if it weren't for the herbs supplementing the antibiotics? I really do think that's a, it's a big part of it. You know, um, our bodies, you know, those with chronic Lyme, like we, I know people say supplements are just a supplement, what you don't get from food and stuff, but as a fitness person too, like we don't even get enough nutrients from the food we eat. I think it, it, you have to eat about 3000 calories or more to get all the full nutrients and you have to eat right to get those. So, um, yeah, I, I notice for me personally, maybe not someone else when I'm not on my supplement game, my health declines. So when I'm, when I do my celery juice and my supplements, um, consistently, just like anything in life, it's really the consistency. So, um, you know, if I forget one day, you know, the next day I'll just do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to be taking those for a long time. So Gina, you were at your best last summer and then you met, you told us earlier that you had COVID and then mono as well. So when did you develop COVID and the reactivation of, of mono? after yeah. your, your really high time last summer. So this is crazy. So I was feeling like my best I've felt in so long. <laughs> I was like, I felt like I was like an athlete again. I could run, I could lift, I could like do all these things. I wasn't going crazy. Like my workouts were really short. Like I just, I felt like I had no pain, like I was feeling really good. And then, you know, COVID was going on and stuff and I had to, um, you know, gyms were closed and I had to do all my sessions online. So I started have to do all the workouts with my clients. So, uh, that really kind of took a toll on my immune system. And I had a, my cousins, I'm like, guys, you got to help me out. Cause I can't work out like this. Like I'm just doing two, three times a day. I'm like, I can't even do one right now. So I think that kind of put, you know, that kind of killed my health a little bit. And then in November, my boyfriend had COVID at the time and I got COVID. So I had my gym closed. I had COVID. COVID reactivated my Epstein-Barr and mono, and then it reactivated my Lyme. So I, I, and then I went through a breakup. So take all five of those. And it was a very, very hard year for sure. I'm sorry, Gina. I mean, that, that sounds like everything came back full force at that point. It It was, it was like a rock bottom, um, year, but where I am right now, I'm in a really good place. So, um, that's why, that's why I say like, you think everything's going great and you finally, you know, like you healed and this is part of the journey. Like it's, it's healing's not linear. There's always going to be those, you know, ebbs and flows, ups and downs. And like, cause I was feeling like, I mean, I was like, I was so happy, like everything was going smooth. And then COVID got COVID happened, gym closed, lost 60% of my business with COVID, you know, got COVID reactivated everything because I was stressed and then a breakup. And it was just, it was just, it was just a lot. And, but, and that's when immune kind of came out and, um, 
I've just focused on that and, you know, helping other people has helped me this year. I think you're, you're really highlighting the fact that immune disruptors can be both physical, they can be pathogens, they can be an illness, or they can be environmental factors. They can be, you know, stressors in your life. So for you, you got infected with COVID, you had reactivated Epstein-Barr, which reactivated your Lyme, you had a breakup, you lost your gym, you lost a percentage of your business, and then you crashed. So do you think that all of those things were immune disruptors, which allowed all of the pathogens to just really flourish and take over? Yes, I 100% do. So do you think that possibly you were overtraining as well? Because you mentioned that you were doing, you were feeling great. So you were running hardcore, you were exercising hardcore. Do you think that when you, when you started to get sick, that you were still possibly overtraining and that contributed to your immune disruption as well? I don't think I was overtraining until COVID. Well, I didn't have a choice. COVID happened. And then I had to take, so, cause I was on zoom. So I had to film all my workouts with three classes a day. And I did it for, I only did it for probably one and a half, two weeks. And I go, I can't, I can't do it. I'm going to get sick. So I think I stopped at the right time, but I think that that did something, a little something, but I had no choice. I'm a one person show at the time because I had to let go of trainers because, you know, my business. So I had to take it all on my hands and thank God for my cousins. They helped me out for a couple months doing those workouts. They're young kids. Um, and they're athletes. So, um, I do think my, it was just way too much. And I knew that, but I, I, I didn't know what to do. And towards the end, I'm like, guys, you know, I'm not, my health is really bad. And they all understood. They're like, just show us the move. We'll just show us the move. We'll do it. You know? So my clientele has been really great, but, um, yes, overtraining, overtraining and chronic illness is, is definitely, um, like a big no-no. Um, you don't realize how much you tax your nervous system. As you know, was this before you, you contracted COVID and had to break up where you were yeah. training several times a day. So that kind of weakened you a little bit. And then you had all those, all those other severe stressors as well. So talk to us about how you bounced back from that, because I mean, here you are today and yeah. you're obviously doing so much better. So I'm just, I'm dying to know what you did yeah to recover from that perfect storm of just events that really caused you to crash. Yeah. So I would say the, in March, so November, December, January, February, March. So March was like the, the breakup, the tough breakup. And then, so I had COVID, um, in November and then my mono reactivated. And so March was really like when the breakup ended and then March, eight, what, what month is it? Is it August? August, yes. <laughs> March, April, May, June, July, August. So it's been about six months. So I would say from March, April, May, after that um, breakup, you know, and my health, like I lost a lot of weight. I lost for me and I'm a small, I'm five feet tall. Like I'm, I don't have a lot of weight to lose. I lost 15 pounds. I, you know, I wasn't eating because I was, you know, like my whole, well, my five pillars of life were crushed. Um, and I just felt like I was, I was not in a good place in March. And I broke down one day in my gym in front of my clients. And that's not, that's not like who I am. And I was just like, all right, I need, and my, actually my mom was in the fitness class taking the class with me. And I just broke down and in front of my whole entire 8am class. And I was just like, Oh my God. And my mom's like, you need to pull yourself together. Like you, you got to do this. And she said that's me. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I was just like, all right, this is just another bump. And I, I, I need to find my inner warrior again. Like this time it's a little different. Last time I was bedridden with a disease. I didn't know 
now I know everything. I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I have more knowledge. I have more education now. I'm like, I need to find my inner warrior again. This is just another bump that everyone goes through. You know, this like everyone went through something this year, every single person. And I, I told myself, I go, I'm not alone. Every single person in this room right now had a crap year, you know? So, but I'm like, all right, so pull yourself together. And immune is something I was working on before COVID. And I had to put it on hold because I got so sick, you know, in November. Um, and it just, I don't know if it's a timeline, but after March, I, that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to heal. I'm going to rest. I'm going to help people and it's going to help myself. And that's what, where immune came out of. And I finally launched it a little while ago. So that's what I've been working on in the past couple of months. And, you know, it's the journey. It's just the journey of it, you know, finding that inner warrior going through adversity because, you don't, you can't grow without adversity as, as bad as that sounds. Um, so yeah, so I came up with immune and I'm in a really good place right now. Um, you know, just it's, it, I'm in a different mindset, you know, I, I'll always be an athlete, but I know now, you know, less is more. That's what I'm going to say. Less is more for me. So I have a plan coming with the gym, you know, hiring people and getting back to, um, you know, ha running the gym, more managing it than actually training because my body needs less. So Gina, Richie's going to talk to you in a second about immune and, and all the beautiful work you're doing now. But I'm really curious to know, how did you recover from March until now? It's only been about six months. Yeah. How did you recover from being so sick and having all of those devastating life events happen to you? Was it herbs? Was it antibiotics? Was it, was it you know, what specific things did you do to recover? So, well, right now, so I, lately I have been like very, very, very fatigued because right now I'm, a, I'm a one person show. still. so I feel like physically, physically, I'm not like where I need to be, but mentally I, and emotionally I am where I need to be. So that has helped my physical. Does that make sense? Definitely. So I know like my pillar of fitness. So like, I know, so like my physical right now is, is way down here compared to my other pillars of fitness. So I'm just using my, my mindset, my emotional, my spiritual, um, my professional, um, life to, you know, and I'm taking a rest with my physical. So I really back down from working out hard and I'm just moving. Like I'm going for walks, like I'm doing minimal, minimal movement, but it's what my body needs. So I really have just, you know, focus on what I can do, which is my mindset and the mental and emotional aspect of, um, you know, life and, you know, just put away, put away that athlete in the physical right now and just focus on, you know, what I can do rather than what I can't, because as an athlete, it's so hard not being able to, you know, go, go all in, in the gym and stuff. But, um, through this whole experience, you know, I'll always be an athlete no matter what, and that's where immune comes in. And it's just about being 1% better every single day. And I tell myself that every single day, and that's how I find my inner warrior. So, um, through the physical part, I've just backed down from the gym, but I'm moving every day. I have to move. I have to go for a walk or a light jog or a body weight. Um, but I'm not lifting heavy. And then, um, yeah, just, you know, 
I'm, I'm starting a new protocol with, I'm, I'm going back to like the drainage thing just because I'm so fatigued right now. Um, so I'm gonna, you know, start drainage with, uh, supplements that, you know, I've used before. And you, when you go through this over and over again, like you, you, you learn, you learn like what, what you need to do next. And, um, I do have a functional medicine doctor that I, I work with. Um, but I know so much that it's awesome. So that's why I really think education, educating yourself is so important because you can be your own doctor because no one, I can go to my functional medicine doctor and being like, okay, this, 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 but I know it's like, when you go through something like this, kind of like with like, you know, if there's a mother going through her own birth or whatever, you only, you know, how you feel and what you need. So, um, you know, I'll be going through, I'm starting like a little supplement phase that, and I'll start with drainage again, because that's the most important, but, um, you know, having that mindset of a warrior has really helped me. So Dana, let's talk about your transformation, because it seems to me that there is a sort of consistent theme through this story. And that is that Gina is a gifted athlete. Uh, she is someone who loves fitness uh, and she's dedicated her entire life to, to the fitness industry and to being a fit person. But it sounds to me at times, Gina overdoes it. She overtrained when she was uh, playing for Team USA. She overtrained shortly after that when uh, she resulted in uh, not being able to fight off the multi-germ infection she was suffering after by being bitten by a tick. And then again, Gina uh, overtrained during early COVID because she had to do all of the Zoom workouts. And, uh, and as a result of that, uh, she became weak. So, uh, or, 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 or her immune system became weak. So that resulted in you now turning those lessons of overtraining into a new entrepreneurial endeavor. So talk to us now in more detail about about the immune warrior um, line that you've developed and what the specific content is of that program. Yeah, so my new brand is called Immune, um, Immune Warrior, and it, deri it derives from just going through a ton of adversity the last couple of years, starting with my journey with being a diagnosed, getting diagnosed with Lyme disease. So, um, you know, just through autoimmune disease or just our immune system in general, how important that is in immune. I also say, um, I don't let my disease define me. So that makes me immune. So immune has a definitely a ton of different definitions of it, how you look at it. Um, but I've come up with this brand where there is, I'm, I'm Gina and all the warriors out there who have been athletes who get chronic illness and they don't know where to go with their nutrition and they don't know where to go with their, their movement and their fitness level. So, you know, someone like me or an athlete or even non-athlete who just, you know, has Lyme disease, I've come up with, um, different programs. So there's home workout programs, there's gym workout programs. There's going to be like a beginner Lyme disease program. Um, there's just a movement program for all different types of people with workouts, whether you have chronic illness or not. And then nutrition programs as well. Um, there's going to like an anti-inflammatory, you know, what works for me, but there's for everyone because everyone's, it's not a one size fits all, right? Where to start, how to build a, your plate, your healthy plate, not 
you know, looking at macros and calories and stuff, just learning to listen intuitive eating to your body and what it needs. So I have that part of that. And, um, and then I have, uh, you know, there's newsletter, there's blogs about, there'll be blogs about Lyme disease, chronic illness, fitness facts, um, my story, all that type of stuff. And then I also have a, uh, monthly subscriptions. So I have eBooks right now that are out for purchase. You can purchase like an eight week eBook fitness program, and then I'll have a monthly subscription as well. So you get like a couple new workouts every single week and people just pay a monthly fee and they can subscribe or cancel anytime um, that works for them. And then I also have a shop, um, which is apparel. And I branded my own fitness bands, my resistance bands, jump ropes. And the cool part about that is 5% of those sales of anyone purchasing an immune shirt or immune resistance bands, 5% of those go to global Lyme Alliance, um, the charity that I work with. And that's, and if you guys ever want to do something, I absolutely would love to work with you guys, um, in that area. Um, so just, you know, spreading awareness, it's spreading awareness for Lyme disease and chronic illness in general, but everyone's a warrior. So even if you don't have chronic illness, it's, it's about finding, you know, your inner warrior and being 1% better. So that's kind of where immune has, um, come from. So talk to us about how, um, you believe that it was actually only through your Lyme disease journey that you would have developed the immune brand. Well, it's funny because it's funny. That's actually that you say that because when I was coming up with it, it wasn't just because of the Lyme. I was looking back at my, my past and my life and all the adversity and obstacles I've been through. And I was like, all right, what's one word to describe yourself, like through everything you went through. And the first thing that came to me was warrior. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to name it warrior, but that's the first thing that came to me. It's just, and if you look up the definition of warriors, it's, it's literally that someone just, it's, if you get knocked down, you get back up kind of thing. Um, so, and then I was one day just kind of thinking about, you know, all right, I want to come up with, I have this really awesome idea. Like, what am I going to call it? And I was just like, all right, autoimmune disease. And my cousin was in the room and I'm like, all right, immune system, like our immunity. That's like what, that's like what I live by, like how my immune system is system is and my cousin who's actually coming to work for me at my gym he goes he said he goes immune and I was like oh my god perfect so um he's like does that mean I'm, I get 50% owner <laughs> but um so he actually said it and it just it when he said it it hit me even though I said because I said I'm like autoimmune immune system he's like immune so as soon as he said it I'm like yep that's it so it just felt right it hit right um because without our immune system like, who are we, you know? So the warrior goes hand in hand with that. So where is uh, the future for the Immune Warrior brand and page that you've developed? Yeah, so, um, you know, my my goal in life, obviously, um, I'm that crazy person that thinks they can help the whole world. And I know I can't help the whole world, but um, I wanna try to help as many people as possible. Um, so, you know, right now with COVID, you know, I would love to, you know, travel and, you know, meet up with people with Lyme disease, chronic illnesses, put workouts on for them if they're able to. Um, but right now, you know, with what I have, you know, is just, you know, working with what I got right now with this whole COVID thing going on, um, since I can't travel and just really, 
um, through, you know, here, how we're talking through the internet, um, give them the best information and tools on how to spread awareness and how, because this is for people too, who like, if they have a child who has Lyme disease, so they can understand it more, you know, too. So maybe, you know, you take a mom and a daughter, a daughter has Lyme disease and, you know, they find my page and, you know, they want to work out together. This is a great time for maybe the mother to understand, understand the daughter a little more. So just spreading awareness and, you know, leading others to be 1% better through fitness, health, and wellness. So Gina, now let me ask you the last question we ask all of our guests. Uh, and maybe for you, it will be a little bit of uh, re-engineering because you had your uh, tick bite experience uh, that you did. But let's say, God forbid, your mom, who's been so supportive of you through this whole journey yeah. um, and has been such a you know powerful influence in your life. Let's say after this interview, she left the inside of your gym and came into the office where you're sitting now, and she had uh, a tick biting her on her neck the same way you had biting you. What would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go on a terrible or difficult Lyme disease journey? I would find the quickest Ziploc bag you can possibly find or something, whether it's like a cup or something, just lock the tick up in something that you can bring to get tested. So that is number one, because if you do have that tick and they test it directly, you're going to find out so much stuff way quicker. So your, your journey is going to be a little easier there for you and you can maybe, you know, figure it out in time. So that's number one. Um, and then number two is call a Lyme specialist as soon as possible. Um, you know, so, you know, I think everyone just in Connecticut, everyone in general, I mean, ticks are everywhere, but I feel like everyone should have some education on Lyme disease and what to do. Just a protocol. It's just like, you know, if it's just like a fire drill when you think about it. So if there's a fire, we know the drill, we know what to do. So I feel like there should be something for that as well with Lyme disease. And even when people come in my gym, like I have signs, I'm like, check yourself, you know, spray yourself. Like it's, you know, it's out there. So I put that out there because I don't want anyone going through what I went through. Um, so those, that is what two things I would tell anyone out there. So if, put the tick, find somewhere to put the tick to bring it to go get it tested and call a Lyme specialist as soon as possible. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Gina Vales. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Gina Vales, please visit our Instagram pages at Gina Vales Fit, G-I-N-A-V-A-L-L-E-S-F-I-T or Immune Warrior underscore. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note, we would appreciate if you would like to offer us any input or any improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.